From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. On today's episode, we are talking about financial fragility. My co-host is Patty Christensen, who is the Vice President in the Education and Wellness Department for the Church Pension Group. Our guest on the podcast is Anna Maria Lissardi, an authority on financial literacy and financial education. Anna Maria is a professor of economics and accountancy at the George Washington University's School of Business, where she also serves as the academic director of the Global Financial Literacy Excellence Center, also known as GFLEC. I wanted to just welcome everyone on the podcast today. How's everyone doing? Great. Good. Thank you. Anna Maria, you have been known to say that personal finances is about achieving your dreams and objectives. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, Too often, finance and personal finance is associated with saving and investing and being savvy about debt. And I want to remind that these are objectives, but they they are a mean to an end which is actually being happy, being financially secure. That is the objective, the reason for taking care of our finances and making good decisions about our finances is to be happy, to be secure. Uh, I teach a personal finance course at GW, and uh, in the first class, I always ask my student what they think the course is about. And most of them, I have to tell you, think is about learning to invest in the stock market. I tell them, well, this course, it's a happiness project. I like that. I love that. (laughs) And how do your students react when you tell them that? I think they are uh, a lot more interested in the course and they become more interested in the course uh, because, you know, of course, they think that... uh, While they would love to learn about investing, they also think it's going to be terribly boring. And they also think that, uh, you know, they'll have to just deal with numbers and they will have to just deal with behavior that they are reluctant also to, you know, implement and so on. And again, I have to remind them, you know, this knowledge is going to help you throughout your life. It's about how can you become you know, savvy and financially secure and happy. For me, there has to be an emotional buy-in. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to introduce in the classes that you teach, that this is more about just intellectual knowledge, but there is an emotional component to it. Yes, uh, it's important uh, uh, two things. You know, uh, finance is about making our heart happy, and we have to do it with our brain, So one of the Mm -hmm. other thing I teach is never decide with your heart, always decide with your brain, and that is going to be very good for your heart. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to use that for myself. (laughs) Well, and I think it's also uh, gets into the idea of if we wait 24 hours to buy something, we typically don't because now we are thinking with our heads instead of our wanting something immediately. So I think that also kind of goes hand in hand. Now, we also know it's hard for people to discuss money matters. I mean, you know, 
when we're at conferences, we talk about that. You know, people feel anxiety when discussing their finances, even when the market and the economy are doing well. What do you think that people can do to feel a little less anxious? Well, we are anxious about the thing we do not know. And this is why I think that financial literacy is so important. Uh, it makes us less anxious uh, because, you know, the more we know, the more we can be in control and the more we understand better the situation. Those who are financially literate do better in their financial decisions. And this creates less anxiety as well, right? A lot of the anxiety is often relating, you know, to the fact that we might face an unexpected expense and we didn't prepare for it or that we carry too much debt. So it's also a consequence of our poor financial decision-making. And this is why financial literacy is so important and is so important also for our financial health and our anxiety. I mean, I think that's also, you know, knowledge is power. Uh, the more knowledge we have, the more we're feeling in control. Um, so I think that's also a good point, yeah. It's almost like you're turning on the lights in a dark room so you can actually see. I think that is something that I've noticed in the health field, because uh, that's my background, is it's very similar. You know, um, so That's why a lot of people don't want to go for their annual physical exam because they're afraid to see the results or they're afraid something will come up. But part of staying in, in, in control of your health and being healthy is like you said, Anna Maria, being being knowledgeable over what's happening in the present moment to to you and your life. Absolutely. And just to continue the analogy with health, we always say also in finance that prevention is better and cheaper and less painful than the cure. Coming to the topic of upbringing and the messages we learn as we're growing up and the messages we we receive from the media and from our family upbringing about money, how does that play a role in financial literacy? It plays a big role because our habits, and in particular our money habits, start very early. And this is why I think we need to speak of money as early as possible. I always say when the tooth fairy comes, uh, and also, uh, you know, people think that children are not interested in money and nothing can be farther for the truth, which is, you know, give a piggy bank to a child and you will transform this child immediately into a banker. So I think it's really important that we start this uh, socialization. And if I can uh, bring myself to this. Um, for example, I have two sisters, and my parents only had daughters, and my mother worked. And the message I got from home is that financial independence is important, it's important, and also that women can do anything. That's very empowering. Yes, it was. So I want to talk a little bit about financial fragility. Anna Maria, you had done a video for FINRA. Mm -hmm. um, in case people don't know, that's the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. And it was called The Psychology Behind Our Best and Worst uh, Financial Decisions. And we use a clip of this at some of our conferences that discusses financial fragility. And I think it's mm -hmm. a term we're hearing more often. How, how do you define financial fragility? 
Financial fragility is uh, the inability to face an unexpected event that requires financial resources. For example, an unexpected expense we have to pay. So uh, together with 2009, uh, with a group of researchers, we coined the term financial fragility, uh, and we asked very specific questions uh, in, you know, right after this big uh, financial crisis that hit the U.S. economy. And what we asked was the confidence that people have in coming up with $2,000 if an unexpected need arose within the next month. So in other words, we assess whether if people face a mid-sized shock and they had a month time to come up with resources, would they be able to do so? And what I wanted to tell you is that in 2009, 50%, 5-0 of the US population was financially fragile. And, uh, you know, in January 2020, so before the pandemic hit, 27% of the population in the U.S. was financially fragile. And if you want to look like two years ago, when the economy was really doing very well and the unemployment rate was very low and the stock market was booming, financial fragility was 31%. In other words, you know, even during a time when the economy is doing well, there are still people who are financially fragile, mm -hmm. and there is still, I think, a lack of preparation for unexpected events. And, and this is important. You know, we, we have a lot of uh, initiatives, and we, have, uh, and we support, for example, thinking for the long term and saving for the long term. But we also have to think of fragility in the short term and making sure that people have that buffer of resources that are needed to face an unexpected shock. Well, it's interesting because I just brought my car in last week and I needed tires. It's $875, which, mm -hmm. of course, I was not expecting that. Uh, mm -hmm. So that you know certainly hit my budget in a way that uh, was like, wow, all right. So, you know then the, the question is, what do you do? Do you, you know, do you run up your credit cards? Do you have a bit of an emergency fund? Um, so I totally understand because I think that hits home for a lot of us just on a, you know, day-to-day -day situations. I mean, I think, especially right now, um, I think we could all name uh, friends and family that um, are certainly feeling very, uh, you know, fragile financially. Can you talk a little bit about financial fragility in the context of the government shutdown last year and the pandemic we're all experiencing right now? Yes, we witness how financially fragile people are in, in these two cases where people face an income shock, right? The government shutdown or the lockdown during the pandemic. And what we clearly witness is that people did not have the capacity to face not just a big shock, but a smaller shock, like the one of the uh, government shutdown. So af only after two weeks, you know, we saw these long lines at the food banks. And this is, again, evidence that, you know, a high proportion of people do not have the capacity to face a shock. 
and that the saving that they have, their precautionary saving, can go, you know, not very far in terms of, you know, weeks, you know, potentially only one of t- or two weeks. And, you know, a fragile society and a fragile households are important not just because of the well-being of the household, but also for the stability of the economy as well. And this is why financial literacy is so important. It's it's important at the micro level, but also at the macro level. And this is what I think we have learned from, you know, these two events. Two weeks after the pandemic hit, I was walking around my neighborhood and I saw lines at the food bank. And it just it just hit hit me how how so many are impacted and um, how quickly you can, how one moment you can feel financially safe, and then the next moment when something drastic like this happens, it can put you in a state of financial fragility. Yeah, so one of the things we, uh, you know, talk a lot about personal finance, and going back, you know, for example, in my personal finance course, is to manage risk. Um, you know, our life is full of risk, some of which we can insure against with the financial instrument, and some, for example, we can insure against uh, building up savings. But it's very important that we understand risk and we manage risk because our life is going to be full of that risk, and it's very important for us to be able to manage it. So let me ask, how do you think financial literacy impacts financial fragility? And if someone wanted to begin to become more financial literate, what are steps they could take? The first step we recommend to become more financially resilient is uh, try to build emergency savings. And the academic research shows that even a small amount can go a long way to help in time of emergency and also to avoid poor decisions. For example, extreme situation where you have to put everything on a credit card or you have to use a payday lender and you have to pawn something you own. And also it's important to mitigate anxiety, as we were saying earlier. So it's really important that, you know, in good times in particular, we put aside a little and we think that there can be bad times and and we can try to keep our standard of living, therefore, kind of smoother and better. And I have to say, in all of the research we have done in the U.S. and around the world, we see that connection between knowledge and financially resilient, financial resilience. In other words, the people who have more financial knowledge are less likely to be financially fragile. And this is true even if you look at people with the same income, the same education. It's not just driven by economic circumstances or preferences. It's also driven by the knowledge you have. And I have to say, you know, the savvier you are about money and how to save and how to um, invest, the better you are going to be. And we see this in the data over and over. And this is why we continue to say financial literacy is power. It translates into better behavior and therefore in translate in particular into being more financially secure and happier. I think that's a really good point. And also the fact that um, bringing happiness back into this, I think people get a little bit 
as we talked about earlier, uh, stressed about their finances, and a lot of people would prefer not to take that next step to really look at some things that they could do. And as we're at our conferences and the materials and webinars and things we pull together, um, you know, it's it's that little step. It's sometimes that $5, $10, $25. It's the habit. If someone can get into the habit, uh, that it really makes a big difference. It really does. And, uh, you know, I think we need to take advantage of this crisis, transform this crisis into an opportunity to kind of reflect, to think more about our future and how we want to build our future and take these opportunities of being forced at home to also invest more into our own financial knowledge and our own financial well-being. Anna Maria, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful and enlightening conversation. I would like to just remind our listeners that the Church Pension Group has resources on our website, www.cpg.org. We're doing webinars. We have e-learning courses on finance and health topics. Uh, you have the ability to you know, call us for financial uh, discussions and Maria, is there any resources that you would like to share with our audience? Absolutely. Uh, on our website, which is www.gflag.org, we have built a new page, which is called Building Financial Resilience, and where we provided resources, advice, so, um, you know, linked to important sources of information so that people can build that financial resilience we were mentioning earlier. And also it's about, you know, the most important financial decisions. So there as well, we provide, you know, suggestions, information, and this is all driven by data and academic research. So I hope it can provide kind of a rigorous, uh, even though simple source of information. Great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, Anna Maria. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Be sure to visit the e-learning library and learning center on cpg.org for wellness resources. And please join us again for Choose Well. Neither the Church Pension Fund nor any of its affiliates, collectively, CPG, is responsible for the content, performance, or security of any website referenced herein that is outside the www.cpg.org domain or that is not otherwise associated with a CPG entity. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group, 